Pray, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Man, is God good or what? Hey, it's so amazing. I love that song. That's my favorite Christmas song right there. It's amazing. Yeah, God is so good. I'm so glad that you are here today. I hope you had an amazing Thanksgiving weekend. And as we come here today, I got a, a like, I do not like giving announcements, but this is happening right now real quick, okay? We are having a little bit of a change in the seasons, just so you all know. Obviously, Christmas is on Sunday, and so we have a Christmas Eve service. We always do, and we normally have a full communion uh, service with caroling and singing and all that stuff that happens. But because it's on Saturday night, been praying, talking to the worship uh, leaders, uh, Justin and Eric, and uh, felt like God was wanting to do something a little different this year and just on that weekend. So what we're going to do is the church is going to be open from 6 to 7 p.m. Christmas Eve, that Saturday, for communion. You can come and stay the whole time if you want. Just come in at your leisure to take communion. We're going to have some music playing in the room. I'm not going to preach at you. And uh, we're going to just let God have his way and we're going to pause for just a minute. So as you're traveling to your family or to whatever you're doing, come on by the church. Take a time out from everything that's happening and spend some time with the Lord in communion. And then on Christmas Day, we're going to have one service at 1030. So you all that come to the 11 o'clock service, 10.30. Okay? One service, 10.30. Those guys that were here at 9.15, if they show up early, they can just make coffee for the rest of us. Just letting you guys know the service will be at 10.30, one service on Christmas Day. We want to come together, so I know that it's a family day. It's time for you to get up with your uh, kids and do that stuff if you have them, or grandkids, or go places, whatever you're doing. Would you make sure that you go to God's house to say thank you for the day and be with him? at 10.30 on Christmas morning. Now tell your family that are unsaved, you got to be in church because it's all about Jesus. It's a great opportunity for you to witness to them and share him with them. Would you be bold this Christmas season in your faith? We need to be bold. We have lost family members and we kind of may, maybe tend to not want to get in confrontation. So instead of talking about politics or the weather, because I know you like to talk about politics with your family, that's always a good topic. Why don't you just bring up Jesus? At least it's worthwhile. The politics thing, it never gets solved. The thing with Jesus will. They need him. If they don't know him, talk to them about him. We're doing a toy sleigh ride. Uh, fill the sleigh for toys, unwrapped, brand new toys for the kids. We have families that we're going to be visiting and meeting with, and so remember that. Reeves across America is the 17th. Lots of stuff happening for the season to celebrate, so remember that. All right, I think that's everything I was supposed to say. It was probably written there, and I might have forgot something, but whatever. Let's move on. So last week, we talked about what God was talking to us about in James. And as we looked at it, we were looking at what God talked to us about through the Holy Spirit letting us know that Elijah, man of God, incredible stuff God did through him was just a human being. And as we mentioned last week, so I'm going to give you a little bit of preview because not everybody was with us. And those of you that are online can watch last week's too. That'd be awesome. It's always there on YouTube. We have a channel there and or live. So here we go. As we look at that scripture, we see that what God brings to us is the fact that uh, Elijah was a human being. So he had feelings, emotions. He was like you and me, had a relationship with God. He did God's work. He was an amazing prophet and he spoke God's truth and God did amazing things through him. So as we look at that scripture, it tells us in the book of James that the prayer of a righteous person has amazing power. So I know that, I won't say I know, let's say there is a, uh, 
idea that a lot of amazing things are not happening in the current church all across the world, not just here in the United States, but around the world. So maybe we just need to stop and step back for a second and understand that the Word of God says that the prayers of a righteous person is how God moves and God can do amazing things. So it's the same God able to do the same amazing stuff, but maybe if they're not happening, it's not Him, it's us. And so if we're not seeing God answering our prayers, we should probably check our own walk with Him and see how we're doing, okay? That would be a great idea. All right, but let's move forward. We looked at those uh, scripture in James chapter 5, actually verse 17. I'm going to read that first line to you. Elijah was as human as we are. And when he prayed earnestly, no rain fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed, rain fell, right? So we went through all that stuff, went back to the event that took place in the scriptures. And as we read that, we uh, are challenged in our own prayer life and their own belief in what God's saying to be convicted in our prayers that God is directing us and that God will do what he says. All right? So as we look at that then, we saw that Elijah, when he said, no rain for three and a half years, no rain fell, just like God said. Then when he came and said, hey, we're going to have a showdown with God, and he calls fire down from heaven, which James doesn't mention. The prayer I read took less than 20 seconds, and fire from heaven fell. God's good to his word. He said he would do it. He did it. Everything Elijah did was according to what God commanded him. So he was following God's lead in every way. It was none of it was Elijah. It was all God. So now then, we also know that he had to pray seven times before even a cloud appeared. There wasn't even a rain falling yet after seven prayers. So even though fire fell in less than 20 seconds, the rain didn't come for seven prayers. Actually, it was after that. It was just a cloud that appeared after the seven prayers. All of that was in God's timing. But see, it tells us there about the conviction of a person as we pray, staying with what God has told us, and taking it all the way through. So pretty cool stuff, right? So now we look at this and see like everything he did was according to God's plan and according to what God was doing, and he believed it, and he was unmoved in his conviction. So now... We already know here that that showdown happened. We talked a little bit about that last week. 450 prophets of Baal, he's mocking them, laughing. Eh, there's no God, whatever, no fire. And it was an all-day service for that false God. Morning till night. And then Elijah calls everybody over and says, let's do this. And he built the altar of God, put the sacrifice on it, poured all the water, said that 20-second prayer, boom, fire falls. What happens to everybody around there? They declare God is God. He is God. The Lord is God. It tells us in the Word of God they declared that. Okay, at the beginning of that showdown, Elijah called everyone from Israel, not just Ahab, not just the prophets of Baal. He said, everybody come, and everybody came. So everybody's there. Not every, every single person, but everybody, like the masses of the city came out. Watch all this going down, right? They said, We'll have the showdown. Whoever shows up with fire, that's God. The people make that commitment, right? All right, so let's step into this for just a second and see what's happening with Elijah. As he does all this stuff, after the showdown, 
fire falls, before he even prays for rain, he tells the people, hey, go grab all those prophets of Baal. Don't let any one of them escape. Bring them right over here. Grabs 450 of these guys. They're already cut and bleeding. So now he goes over and he kills them with a sword. <laughs> a lot of people, they don't like reading the Old Testament because they see God in a different light. It's the same God. I just want you to know, old and new. Amen. God doesn't mess around with false faith. And he doesn't mess around with perversion. And if you know anything about those Asherah and Baal worships, it was all perversion, all about feeding the flesh. God is not okay with that. He's not okay with false teaching. And so Elijah, the man of God, goes and kills him himself. So can you just think about that for a minute? I mean, maybe you don't want to put yourself in that place, but just get the man of God here as he goes and he sees the evil that they represent and how they've misled God's people into darkness and he's got his sword, and he's just slaying them right and left. When he's done, 450 dead guys are laying there. Now he goes and prays for rain. So remember, he was a human like you and I. So if you just process all the stuff that's been going down here, <laughs> we see that Elijah was a man of surrender, trust, and obedience. He surrendered to whatever God said, trusted him for the outcome, and then he acted in obedience. That's what we see. And we see it all happening before us. Now then, after all this stuff goes down, and the monsoon rains fall, this guy has experienced the hand of God in some incredible ways in his life, just in the last three and a half years. If you read his story, which is found in 1 Kings, you will see that he has experienced God in incredible, incredible ways. So these are mountaintop experiences. It doesn't mean everything in his life was incredible. As a matter of fact, not everything in his life was incredible. He was going through some difficulties like everybody else. However, in the midst of it all, God was doing incredible things in spite of everything else. He still had a warrant out for him the whole time. The king and his queen wanted him dead. Blaming him for what was happening when it was them, like the world always does. So now as we look at this then, and we see all these things happening, um, you all have had some mountaintop experiences. If you walk with God for any length of time, I know you've had some mountaintop experiences, haven't you? I mean, where it's just undeniable God, and he just shows up, and it's like, the Lord, he is God. You know, Woo, you are God, and you did this, no doubt about it. But you don't live there, and they don't last. They just happen. And they only happen when we're following God's lead. Don't forget that. The mountaintops only happen when God's giving the direction, God's leading, and we're simply following what he's asking us to do. So as Elijah experiences these incredible God moments, which we'll talk a little bit more as we read Scripture in a little bit, we want to be reminded that we don't live in that moment. We simply travel through those moments, and after every mountaintop, there's a valley. And we're all going to go through those too, all right, as part of life as well. So we're in this moment now where fires happen, Baal's prophets are dead. He tells everybody, get back to the city. It's going to rain. Everybody's going home now with this awe of God moment, right? I mean, everybody's human here. They've just experienced all this stuff happening. They're like, whoa, man, dude, that is crazy. Did you see it? Yeah, I saw that. You know how we talk about stuff? Kind of like how Michigan won the game yesterday over Ohio State, like with the stomping. And we all just kind of like, ooh, man, that was real. 
I didn't want to bring that up, but there you go. All right, so it's like, you know, you just want to share that story with someone. It's like inside of you, and you want them to know about it. Amen. All right? Even you Buckeyes fans, just relax and listen to what God's about to say to you, right? Okay? Listen, let's stay on task, all right? So we want to share that moment. If you don't know what I'm talking about, talk to me after the service. Anyway. So the people are looking and they're like, hey, the Lord's God. There's no doubt about it. They've declared that. They said they would follow him. They're heading back to the city. city. Um, just this incredible mountaintop experience that they've seen, even if they weren't participating, they were part of it. And it was real. And since Elijah is human, and he's, all this stuff is happening, and he's just like me, I know what Dave would have been thinking. Once the rain cloud appeared and we went through that prayer moment and we're heading back to the city and it tells us if you read that story that the Lord came upon Elijah and he like put his robe up and he ran faster than the chariot back to town. I mean, God was doing some cool stuff here. All right. But let's, let's just think as you're going back to town, put yourself in Elijah's shoes, running back to town. You hear the wind and the rain starting to fall. God just sent fire. All this is happening. I mean, in my mind, I'm like, Dude, there is something amazing about to happen. Uh, a nationwide revival is about to break out. Excited with anticipation, hearing the people saying, the Lord, he is God, knowing the prophets of Baal are dead. Man, like, I'm thinking, like, I can't wait to see what's going to happen next. Wouldn't you think that? Let's step into the word of God for a moment and see what happens. 1 Kings 19, when Ahab, that's the king, by the way, got home, he told Jezebel, the queen, everything Elijah had done, including the way he killed all the prophets of Baal. You know how guys are when they tell a story like that? It's like, you should have seen it. He was like, whoa, 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 you know, like acting it out. He's all excited. They're all dead. Well, she wasn't all that thrilled with the story. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. All right, so we're just going to pause for a second. A couple things I want to point out. First off, it didn't happen, right? And she lived too. So in her own words, her own gods don't exist. Because she said, if you're not dead by tomorrow, may the gods kill me. She lived he lived, no gods. Okay? There is only one God. God already proved that. Therefore, no other gods were listening. But anyway, let's move on. So she didn't send a soldier with a sword to kill him. She sent him a message, <laughs> which I find ironic. Like, if you wanted the dude dead, why didn't you just send the sword with the message and say you're dead? But she sent him a message. You're going to be killed by tomorrow. So... As we look at this, with the evidence of the one true God being reported by the king himself, her very husband says, fire, amazing, zap, gone. These guys all day long, nothing happened. He's God. She didn't care. She didn't care about the evidence. She didn't care about the testimony. She didn't care what she heard. She was like, no, I'm living in my darkness, and I'm committed to my ways. Church, I, I want you to know there are people in your life like that doesn't matter what you say, what they've seen, what they even experience in the presence of God. They're just not going to listen. 
So be warned. That doesn't mean you shouldn't share. You need to tell them about Jesus. But not everyone's just going to say, oh, I need him too. <laughs> they want to live in their own darkness. And she's just more determined than ever in her darkness to snuff out anything to do with God. That's the way the enemy is, you know. So, let's step into this moment of Elijah's life. Human, like me and you, experiencing incredible God stuff, and he gets a message, a simple message. Like, I've gotten messages I don't like. Haven't you? Okay. But, like, he just saw fire fall from heaven. The rain is still pounding in the city after three and a half years. And Elijah gets a message. And this is what the Word of God says. 1 Kings 19.3 Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down on a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Elijah was a human just like us. So we find this human allowing fear to invade his flesh. And when he allows fear to take over, his response is to run. All right, so we're just going to stop here for a second and run. understand, church, there was no direction from God for him to run. But what he did was he allowed one single message to instill fear in his heart, and then he reacted, and he took control of the situation and took off for the hills. Okay. When we let our flesh dictate a response to a crisis, we're going to be in trouble. Church, we are in trouble when we let our flesh dictate our response to a crisis in our life. So, to realize a couple things here that God wants to speak to us about, we need to look at his first exit of town. Okay? Because he did leave town the first time his life was threatened. He knew he was going to be threatened when he said there'd be no rain. And he did exit town. So we're going to go three and a half years back in history. And we're going to look in 1 Kings 17 too. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go to the east and hide by the Kirith Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Okay, listen church, I want us just to hear this. This is God's direction. And God says, Elijah... You need to exit town, and this is where you're going to camp. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. All right, now I know y'all probably have been around the church to hear the story, but like, would you just become human for a second and think about this? God's like, I want you to go camping. Don't take your cooler. Don't take nothing. Just go right there, and we'll take care of you. So the next morning, the very first morning, when you wake up and it's breakfast time, there comes a bird, for real, a raven, flying in. And he's like, drops the meat down. There you go. Here's your toast. 
Bam, there it is. There's your breakfast. Like, for real, that happened. That's God. So like Elijah experiences, why? Why did Elijah experience that? Because he was where God told him to be. So Elijah did. We're reading that verse, the following verse. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside Kirith Brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. Isn't that awesome? I mean, like morning and night, morning and night, morning and night. God provides, man. He's amazing. <laughs> but after a while, the brook dried up. There was no rainfall anywhere in the land. So at first, you know, it's that river, and now it's like a creek. You guys know what those are? I'm from Michigan. We have all that. Rivers, creeks, lakes. I mean, all. Anyway, there's like, and it's shrinking. And pretty soon, it's just like, you know, some of our washes where it's like, it's coming down and then it just disappears. And he's there. So here's the thing, church. Can you just slow down for a second? Because when we put ourselves in that situation... And we know God's providing for us, and we see the water disappearing. Um, we're probably tempted to pack up before it's dry, when it starts shrinking, and it's down to this size right here, and it's hard to even get the water out of it because there's so little. The Word of God says it dried up, and there was no rainfall anywhere. Therefore, Elijah was still camping when there was no water in the river. Why? Because God told them to. You may be sitting there today and you're like, I'm where God told me, but the river's dry. Then the, word, the Lord said to Elijah, see, it's in the moments where we're in obedience and waiting that God can speak. <laughs> then the Lord said to Elijah, after the water was gone, got your attention? Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I've instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, Would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called her, Bring me a bite of bread, too. Isn't God good? It's like, man, you know, he's like, I got you, man. I'm going to have ravens. Okay, now it's going to be a widow. God is so amazing. And he's that detailed when we let him be detailed. When we allow God to speak, God will speak. When we allow God to lead, he'll lead. But we've got to let him, church. We've got to slow down and let God lead. So every step of Elijah's departure was God-directed. So you see the difference now? We're looking at this first exit of town, and everything that he did was directed by God. He simply followed God's lead, and he did not respond until God said to do. We can't allow our flesh to take over, church. We cannot allow our flesh, no matter what kind of a crisis we're facing in the moment, take control and make the decision and have us move in any direction. We need to wait on God. Just because God had ordered him to leave town before, doesn't mean God was going to tell him to leave town now. 
See, what happens a lot of times is, in the church especially, we know what God has done in history, and so we try and replicate it on our own. It's like, wow, God moved in this. Like, I used the illustration, and, um, yeah, I mean, I said it last time, I'll just say it now. Like, there's still camp meetings, like tent meetings happening in our country, because back in the 1800s, there was a revival movement of God where they put up tents and called everybody to come in, and they had tent revivals, and people's lives were changed, and entire cities would come out, and God used that for a worldwide movement, okay? But... See, we're still trying to get the same results by doing what happened before, thinking that God's going to move again. But you know, God's a God of creativity. And God maybe wants to do, no, not maybe, God wants to do a new thing. He doesn't need to use the old stuff. He's God and he knows what he's doing. So we got to stop trying to like act like what he did is what he'll do now and let God be God and follow his lead because God might want to do something brand new. (laughs) It's crazy, isn't it? So first time he was like put on notice that he would be wanted man, Elijah was going to have wanted posters all around. God says exit. So now the queen says you're wanted, you're going to die. So he just exits again. Okay, but we look at that whole thing and we see that God was directing the first exit. But we know when we read the scripture that God did not lead the second exit. We're told right in the word of God. I already read it to you. Let's look at what it says. Right there in in 1 Kings 19.3, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. There's nothing there that says God said leave town. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he laid down, we're going to continue reading, by the way, and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate, and he drank, and he laid down again. Then the angel Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead of you will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. The food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Is that not awesome? Is God amazing or what? All right, let's keep going now. (laughs) There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Yeah, time for a time out for us. First couple things that we need to notice as we look at this. Notice how amazing God is. That even though he did not tell Elijah to leave town, God still met his need. He still provided food for him. All right, so he didn't tell him ahead of time, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this, before God used a raven and then a widow. This time, it's an angel of God. And God's not even directing this, church. Think about it. Do you see how amazing God is? I mean, he is so incredible that even when Elijah is moving in his fear, in his flesh, God provides. Here, listen. 
sometimes some of us in the Christian community can think we're where we're supposed to be just because God's meeting our need. That doesn't mean that you're where you're supposed to be. God's a gracious, merciful, loving God. He may be providing food for you because you're screwing up. (laughs) All right. So I love the way God asks the question. He's amazing, isn't he? I mean, I love how gentle God is. He didn't like thump him and say, hey, dummy, what are you doing here? He just says, hey, what are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you here? When confronted with this question, why are you here? Elijah, we see the human. We're going to see the human again, the flesh taking over. And he kind of makes a case to God, but he doesn't answer the question. So here's the question. What are you doing here? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. All right? So just think about what he just did. He's like, God, me and you are in this together. You know why I'm here. I'm the only one. Those people are just jacked up back there. You know they're jacked up. I'm alone. It's me and you. I'm here. I'm done. So what we see in Elijah's, like, um, stating his defense, instead of answering the question, just states who he is. We see something in here. What we see is that he states partial truth to God. And this is what he says. Um, Your altar was torn down. People aren't serving you. They've killed the prophets. All that stuff happened, you know. But the, the part that he forgot or didn't mention to God was the fact that he was the one that God used to call the people together. He, with his own hands, had built the altar back up. He himself said, choose whom you will serve this day. He heard the people say, the Lord, he is God. Right? So church, what I'm saying is he was talking about stuff in the past, but not the present. And so when he's declaring why he is where he is, he's telling God about the problems of the back, back there. He's not talking to God about what God just did. He didn't say, hey, those people gathered the prophets of Baal together and I killed them for you. He didn't even bring that up. Church, do you remember we read in the scriptures what he said was, we're going we're gonna to make a covenant together. We're going to de- make a deal. The God who answers by fire is God. And the people were like, sounds good. Let's do it. And then they declared God was God. Okay. So in his flesh when he's making a case for why he ended up where he's at, none of that stuff comes to the surface. He's just dwelling on the negative past, bringing up true events. But church, listen, not current events. God had moved in amazingly powerful ways. God had revealed himself in a way like, I mean, unbelievable in history. That God himself had a showdown in front of people about being God. And he was part of that. 
And so now as he's sitting here, Elijah did not even stick around to see what God would do. He didn't even wait it out. He reacted in his flesh and ran. God was up to something. And the man of God did not even wait to see what God was up to. He allowed his flesh to dictate his response. So now Elijah makes this case to God like, they're all losers, they're a mess, you know it, I know it, we're alone, just take me out. So after he makes that statement, God says something again. Listen to it. Go out, remember he was in the cave? Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Okay, Elijah was human, just like you and I. God's talking, and God says, get up, get out there, stand in front of me right now. He didn't move, by the way. He just stood there because something started to happen in that very moment. And there was all kinds of activity happening, man. Can you imagine standing there hearing that roar of that wind and the earthquake shaking and all this, and all of a sudden there's fire again? It's like, this is real, man. And he's standing there, and God's showing up again, showing that he's God. And it says this, that after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave and a voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? (laughs) Is God cool or what, man? I love it. It's like, you know, I didn't really get an answer. (laughs) Let me just remind you who I am. Check this out. Fire. Hey, come out. (laughs) So awesome, man. Now that you got your attention here, what are you doing here? Why here, man? When we allow our flesh to give direction to our situations, we will always end up in a place where the question is going to be asked of us, what are you doing there? And a lot of people want to blame God and tell him I'm here because of kind of like what Elijah did. It's all their fault. (laughs) Everything over there is a wreck. And I'm here because of them. And And God's like, why are you here? Church, we don't know. And I don't mean this, I'm not trying to read it. I'm saying we don't even know what God could have or would have done if Elijah didn't run. What we want to do rather is we want to own the flesh of Elijah for our situation. Well, I'm only human. I'm only human. Well, look, God doesn't care about our humanness. He loves us enough that he wants to live in us to transform us and change us from living in our humanness and flesh into a spirit Filled, spirit-led follower of God. Church, this is what's happening right here. 
God will, he will direct your life if you let him. But if you allow your flesh to make decisions, you're going to get into places where God never intended you to be. And throughout my years in ministry, I mentioned this in the first service, and then someone was talking to me after, and I was kind of expanding on it. I mean, I have heard countless people throughout my pastoral life that talked about their life in sin being that God brought them through all that stuff so they'd have a testimony. And I want you to know that that is not true. Like, I'm not just saying that. No, God never leads someone into a life of sin so they can testify about his amazing grace. God is calling us out of our sin to live a life of righteousness for his glory, to be filled with the spirit of God and to be a witness to who he is. He didn't take us down that broken road so that he can say, now that you're all jacked up, come here so I can use you. We were already jacked up. The whole reason he came is because we couldn't fix ourselves and we were all broken. He's the answer. He's not leading you into sin. Man, stop with that garbage. Now we have people come up and give their testimony about stuff like that, and all that does is validate people's sinful lives. Like, well, God's leading me, so here it is. I'm just going to keep down this broken trail until he shows me. Look, I'm telling today's the day he's showing you. That's your decision. You're in that place by your own making, and God's like, why are you there? There's something better for you. Stop making the decisions in your flesh and let God make your decisions for you. Stop living in that brokenness and step into the new. Come on, man. There's an amazing verse in Proverbs that I think everybody should probably memorize, post it everywhere, and share it with your friends. You ready? Proverbs 19.3. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then get angry at the Lord. <laughs> wow. If God didn't do this, or if God wouldn't have done that, and if God, God didn't do any of that, people do. People do stupid things, and they jack up our life. It's not God. God didn't ruin your life. God died so that we could have life and have it made new. Man, we make those dumb decisions, and then we're blaming God for where we are, and he's like, well, how did you get here? That wasn't me leading you. If I was leading you, you'd still be camped over here by the river, being taken care of by the widow. Or you'd be in your own home. <laughs> All right, church. I'm already at my action steps, man. You have, if you weren't thankful this weekend, you can be now. If you're new here, it's like way early. Okay, just so you know. All right. So here's the deal. I got two action steps for you, and they kind of go together. So here's what it is. Are you still stating your reasons or making your case for why you are where you are? Or are you ready to face God and allow him to lead you from where here to where you are to where he wants you? It's your choice. You can stay right where you are and complain and talk to God about how bad things were. Or you can just come to him and say, I'm ready, God. Let's go forward. Where do you want me? And then don't move till he tells you. Please stop getting in front of God. Slow down, man. I, throughout my walk with God, so I do know that was the action steps and this isn't leading into another message. So throughout my walk with God, I can tell you that there's been many times where I got in front of him, helping him, trying to get where he wants me to get and inviting him along while I did it. Can you just stop and wait for God to lead you? Stop being in such a hurry. 
We always want everything now. I always want everything now. I'll just confess it to you now. I do. I want it now. I want the move of God to happen today. I want the church to be busting at the seams in every way. I want our city to change. I want to see a national I want it all today. I don't want to wait for next Sunday. Okay, I don't. But God just says, like, wait. Let's just stop for a second because I need to do something in you. God wants to do something in you today. Would you just pause and let him? So when God invited Elijah to the mouth of the cave, you notice when we read that, that he didn't move yet? And God was like doing his little display of his majesty and power. But when the little whisper happened, hey, Elijah's first response was to cover his own face and step out where God told him to be. So we always do altar calls here, and I do them every Sunday, and I believe in it. And the reason why I do an altar call is I'm saying, like, you need to step out of the cave, man. You can sit back there and say, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. And I'm not saying you're not. You may be. But if you're not, you know you're not. You know you're where you put yourself. And if God's calling you out of the cave right now by that little whisper, you need to step out. And so we're going to stand together. The altar's open. If God's calling, please respond to him. This isn't about me. It's not about others. It's about you and God. All alone, God, we're standing here in your presence. A gentle whisper, come. Yes, Lord. Yes. Yes. we're done with inviting you on our journey I want you to lead only you Lord lead have your way God we're done with the brokenness of the past we're done with blaming everyone else it's me and you God here whatever you want Thank you, God.